The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We're now going to turn to God's Word. If you have a Bible, um, we are going to ultimately kind of be most of the sermon in Isaiah 34 and 35, but the primary verses will be up on the screen. Um, We are going to spend some time in Isaiah 34 and 35 and then go over to the Matthew 6 um, where Mita read for us earlier. Uh, with that being said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into our passage. Is that cool with you guys, everybody? We're good? Group affirmation here. I can really tell we're in New England spirits. Um, <laughs> Jesus, we're grateful that you called us together here. Um, you are the worship leader who calls us into your presence and leads us into your truth and renews us by your presence with us by your spirit. And one of the ways you do this is by creating a world that is chock full of your glory. So we pray that as we look at your word this morning to understand the world around us that we live in, are connected with, we pray that you would help us to experience your joy and your mercy and your love for us this morning afresh. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are in a series called All Things New, and as we've been working through this series on All Things New, um, we've been talking about how God made the world, how the world has fallen and broken because of sin, and primarily those categories we've been talking through have largely been around the areas of how do we experience brokenness as humanity, and what does it mean to be human and to be broken by sin, and all that stuff. And one of the things we want to look at this morning is we want to pick up the reality that sin in the world has broken creation around us. The very world that we look at around the windows and all that stuff, the beautiful mountains right over there, everything that we breathe in is all tainted in one way or the other, has a thread of the brokenness of sin running through it. And so what we want to do is consider what does the Bible tell us about this reality? Because it's been great to kind of look at how sin causes problems in our lives. But what that can do is make us very kind of introspective, make us very much on the view on the inside. What's wrong with us? Why are we like this? That sort of thing. What I want to do is I want to break a preaching convention, and I want to tell you where we're going to land, right? (laughs) One of the things that they teach you in preaching school is like, how do you preach a good sermon? And one of the things you do is you you don't tell people the punchline of the the sermon. You hold it till the very end so that they track with you. It's one of those great majestic ways that I keep your attention. I get paid the huge dollars that I get paid (laughs) to do. But what we want to do is I want to look at what we're going to land at right now, where we're going to be when we get at the end of the sermon. And I want to read it up front so you understand where we're going with this whole idea of what is God doing in the world around us? And what does the world tell us about who God is? This is a quote from uh, a guy named G.K. Chesterton. I think about this, this quote probably like once a week. Um, it's one of those quotes that has gotten in my brain and has stuck there for a long time. And he captures this idea of where we want to land. By the way, uh, the Q&A number at the bottom, we will do Q&A after the sermon. If you want to send a question, it comes right to my phone. Happy to answer that after the sermon. Here's Chesterton. Because children have abundantly, have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And a grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. (laughs) For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. 
but perhaps God is strong enough to exalt a monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatically necessary, automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but he has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has an eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. So here is what Chesterton is capturing. We live in a world that is chock full of good things that happen over and over and over and over again, and they tell us something about who God is. Now, there is a connection between us and creation, and there is a reason why creation feels so broken sometimes, and we're going to talk about that, but what we're going to land is experiencing, I hope, what Chesterton is talking about. We want to see this picture of a God who says in the morning and in the evening, do it again, and we want to experience what he's telling us through that. So to help us kind of get into this whole idea of what's going on in the world around us, we have, uh, we've been pulling from Genesis, and we're going to get back there uh, when we preach through Genesis, but if we go to the next slide, all through Genesis, there are these things that happen to the world and the creation around us that's going to help us kind of get into what we're talking about. So Adam sins, and what God says to Adam is, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, uh, uh, eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. The curse is, cursed is the ground because of you. So here he's speaking to the creation. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. So basically, sin happens, and God says, okay, the world is going to be cursed because of sin. And then here we have, all through the prophets, these little phrases that happen off and on through the, through the prophets that speak to the land. The field is ruined, the land mourns, Joel 1.10, Joel 2.18. The, then the Lord will be zealous for his land, because the land was broken. Hosea 4.3, therefore the land mourns. Isaiah 32.13, for the land of my people in which thorns and briars shall come up. Notice how that's connecting to Genesis, the curse, Genesis 3, or Jeremiah 3. And, he, and you have polluted a land with your harlotry and your wickedness. Chapter 4, for the earth shall mourn and the heavens above, the dark, above be dark. Chapter 12, how long is the land to mourn and the vegetation of the countryside to wither? Jeremiah 12, the whole land has been made desolate because no man lays it to heart. See, all through the Bible, there's all these places where the creation itself reflects the experience of our hearts. The creation is in self cracked open and broken because of sin, and the creation itself around us is given a voice and it says, ugh, because of, this, of sin. And because of brokenness. And so what we want to do is we want to track in here through chapters in Isaiah, chapter 34 and 35 in Isaiah, to understand how connected are we to the world around us? Because I think we often live in this reality that like, well, the world's over there, and it's kind of like in this prepackaged box, and it really just kind of, we manage it, and then we have our own lives over here. But there really is this intimate connection between us and the world, and by design, humanity and creation are intimately connected by God more so than we think. That's why, for example, um, I'm really grateful that Mita read Isaiah or Psalm 104 for us. Uh, it was one of those things where it was already pre-scheduled for this morning, but I assigned the Psalm 119 for our call to worship, 
and then I Psalm 104, and it's one of those psalms where like I signed it, and I've I'd forgotten how long it is, but it's a long psalm just to remind us of God is doing all of this stuff all the time. When you get up and you go to work, when you go outside and you rake your leaves, when you engage in anything in this world, that is all a part of God's big celebration of who he is every day. We are connected to the world in a way that we don't often think about. And so here's the big idea for this, for this Sunday, for the sermon this morning. This is where we're going to kind of be following through. I think being involved in create and, and connected to creation means that we need to get this main point. Get out of your head. <laughs> get out of your head and consider creation's witness of God's love. We want to consider what God's doing in creation so that we get out of our own heads because we get in these narratives going on all up in here. I don't know if you're like me, but I get in like this neurotic thing by like six o'clock in the morning and I'm just kind of like stuck there. But creation is designed and stewarded and made by God in such a way that it tells us a story of his love for us. And so we need, in order to be able to get that, we need to work through a little bit of Isaiah 34 and 35 to experience getting out of our own head and considering God's witness through creation of his love to us. You guys cool? All right. We're going to look at Isaiah 34. As we get in Isaiah 34, we want to see that we are connected to creation's judgment. And I want to thank uh, David McCurdy because uh, he reviewed my sermon and reminded me. I'm glad that he knows his Bible better than I do. Um, and reminded me of these verses right up here at the beginning. We're going to see in Isaiah 34 judgment upon Israel. And they're being judged, incidentally enough, related to our sermon, because they had not cared for the world that God had made them to live in, the land that he had put them in. It says in Second Chronicles that he took into exile in Babylon, right? So that's when God's people were in their promised land, and they didn't take care of things. They didn't do what God said, and he took them into Babylon, you know, their mortal enemy. Like, I guess that would be like if you were, like, on the Patriots team, and you got ejected and put on, like, the Cowboys or something like that. I, I don't know. What, I don't, <laughs> he sent the exile in Babylon, those who had, been, had escaped from the sword, so they hadn't been killed, and they became servants of him and his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. Notice this. Until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths, and all the days it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill the 70 years. The main point of what's going on here as we get into Isaiah 34 is that the land is being judged and experiences what we're going to see in Isaiah 34 because God's people hadn't been obeying God's law, which said, Every seven years, give the land a rest. Every so many years, give the land a rest. Treat the land respectfully and, and, and care because God has made it to have cycles in life and experience the, the world around you in produce and rest just the same way he's made us. So we're going to turn now to Isaiah 34. You guys cool? All right. Isaiah 34. We get here into Isaiah 34, and we see here in the... Um, I'm going to read kind of as we go through, make some comments. Draw near, O nations, to hear, and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear, and all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. The Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their hosts. He has devoted them to destruction and has given them over for slaughter. Their slain 
will be cast out, and the stretch of their corpses, the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood, and all the host of heaven shall rot away, and the skies rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the, from the fig tree. So we're just going to pause there and just note, this is one of those moments in the Bible where, like, God's going to business. Like, he is angry, and the world is experiencing it. But you'll remember, the reason, the context of why he's, ex- he's expressing this judgment is because people haven't cared for the land that he's put them in. And who is experiencing the judgment? It's not just the people. But it, it is the people, but it's also the land. I'm going to pick up here in verse 5, and then we'll swing back and make a couple of comments. For my sword has drunk its fill of the heavens. Behold, it descends from judgment upon Edom, upon the people who have, uh, I've devoted for destruction. The Lord has a sword, and it is slated with blood. Verse 7. With oxen shall fall, um, wild oxen shall fall with them. The young steers with the mighty bulls, their land shall drink its fill of blood, and their soil shall be forged have be, shall be gorged with fat. Verse 8. For the, year, for the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. And the streams of Edom shall be returned to pitch, and her soil into sulfur. Her land shall become like burning pitch. Let's just pause right there. What's going on here, is, and we're going to see this in the next few verses, is that in effect, God's judgment upon creation is taking it down to baseline. Like, he is... So we're reading all this, like, you know, there's blood and guts and all that stuff in here. And that, that's, you know, if you're into that sort of thing, that's, that's great, you know. But the, what's going on here is that God is taking creation down to baseline. He is saying, even to the land, the land is going to be like, not like fresh dirt that you get from Home Depot or something like that. This is going to be like somebody had taken rocks, like had, remember, like if they ever rip up a street, like they ripped up my street over by Silly Road here in Manchester, and they just rip it up, and there's all these, like, concrete bits. Like, you can't grow anything in that. Like, it's just, like, ripped up and just kind of left there. That's what he's talking about. Like, this land is just totally destroyed, and you can't even do anything with it because it's just down to baseline. Here we're going to pick up uh, verse 10. Night and day it shall go, it shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever from generation to generation and lie waste. None shall pass through it in forever and ever. But the hawk and the porcupine shall possess it. The owl and its raven shall dwell in it. He shall stretch out the line of confusion over it, and the plumb line of lines, uh, and the plumb line of emptiness. Its nobles, there is not no one there to call it kingdom, and all its princes shall be nothing. Uh, uh, let me finish this out, and then we'll let me finish on a couple of verses. <laughs> this is a long chapter. Thorn, thorns shall be grown over it and str- over its strongholds. Nettles and thistles in its fortress. It shall be a haunt of jackals and an abode of ostriches. Now, I know we're reading this and we're like porcupines and ostriches and all this stuff. These are all unclean animals. In the Old Testament worldview, they understood there were clean animals and then there were all these wild animals. And basically, God's saying, I'm taking this down the baseline so that even like, have you guys ever seen like the Lion King Disney? Like, I'm like, Lion King Disney. Remember, like, there's like Simba's land, which is great, you know? And then there's, like, all, like, the, the death land, like, the valley with the jackals. Like, that's kind of what's going on here. He's basically saying, like, I'm taking this down to, what's the bad guy's name in that movie? Scar? That's it? <laughs> I've got so many bad guys to keep track of in my head. And I'm like, Scar? Like, really? Like, 
All right, the 90s were not a great time for naming bad guys, right? Um, like Thanos, like that's a cool name. Scar, like, okay, you guys were pulling from the top of the pile. Anyhow, you get the idea. There he was. God is saying, like, Scar is going to be running the land, and it's going to be horrible, right? The whole thing is going to be bad. But here's what I'm trying to draw out. Verse, um, verse 11. Notice that second sentence there. He shall stretch the line of confusion over it and the plumb line of emptiness. Now, I know that's a bit of an obscure phrase, but what I want to draw out for you is that that phrase, confusion and emptiness, those are different translations of the same words that are used at the very beginning of Genesis where it says, the world was made, and my notes have it, (laughs) the world was without form and void. Remember in Genesis 1 where it says, God creates everything and the world is without form and void? Those are the exact same Hebrew words right there for confusion and emptiness. And what we're saying, because all through this whole series, we're basically saying God creates things, sin causes things to go back in their created order, and by his spirit, he's renewing everything in Jesus. And here's one of those main points in the passage where it says, literally, sin has caused the created world around us to go back to its pre Genesis 7 days world of its confusion and emptiness and it's ill-defined and it doesn't make sense, even to the point where you could even read verse 14, the wild goats cry out to his fellow as a reference because at the time there were all these demon, uh, goat demons that were running around in the pagan religions of the time. It could be a reference to say demonic forces have taken over and this is back to not only baseline but below baseline. Sin has wrecked not just us, but the world around us. Are you guys tracking with me here? This is just like if, um, I'm sure we have them all over. Actually, this used to be one of those buildings, all these abandoned buildings around us. Like when I was growing up, um, there's a, when I was in middle school, there was a school bus that would pass by this abandoned hospital. Right here, this was an aban- a hospital that was made to provide care and life and support for people. And every morning... Monday to Friday, we would go by, and God only knows what happened in that building. But it did not look good. You, know, you get all the graffiti and all the broken glass and all that stuff. You know, you see pictures of all these abandoned. Like, have you ever like? I get in these rabbit holes where I'll go through and like abandoned theme parks. Have you ever go through and like, look at abandoned theme park video pictures, and it's kind of like, this is creepy. Like, I don't know. Like maybe like a nuclear bomb would be better looking than this. <laughs> it's just weird. But like. Effectively, creation is just kind of like overgrown. You can see like it had this hope of being something great. And here creation has just kind of come in and taken possession of it. That is a picture of what's going on with sin in the world with creation. There's this kind of ebb and flow of when we care for the world around us and steward creation well, it promotes life and goodness and, you know, flourishing trees and plants and vegetables and all that sort of stuff, clean air, that sort of stuff. And when we don't, we swing back towards not only grossness and destruction, but pollution. Things start to decay and fall apart and don't work well. There is this give and take between how we relate to the world around us in creation and how sin has infected the world. And frankly, one of the benefits of science, and I'm going to kind of speak to this, Science is this idea that the world can and should be understood, right? That, that's actually, I don't know if you're aware of this, but that comes out of a Christian understanding of the world. 
the pagan religions of the time, Greek religion, all that stuff, you don't mess with creation because that's the realm of the gods, and they take care of that, and if you start trying to take over creation, you are messing with the gods. That's a big no-no. Christian worldview is basically, well, God owns the world. He made it to be good. He made it to promote life, and we can and should try to understand it. Now, you'll notice who's involved with that can and should (laughs) people, right? So that's how you get both nuclear power plants and nuclear bombs, right? So it goes both directions in terms of how we understand the world. But that's a part of why, for example, science is helpful for our lives. It's a part of how we understand the world around us. It helps us to understand and promote the flourishing of life around us, right? I'm going to pass over this, but we could get into a discussion here. I'm just going to note this, and then we're going to move on. We could get into a discussion of how this relates to how we understand both viruses related to the pandemic and then how we find solutions for those viruses. But I'm just going to say viruses come out of a world that is broken by sin, and science, medical science specifically, is a helpful tool in understanding how to keep those, those negative dynamics, those fallen dynamics at bay and to promote human life. So we're going to move on here. Chapter 35. Seen the world created. It is destroyed. It's brought back down to Genesis 1 before the seven days of creation baseline. There's nothing good going on here. Here we're going to pick up in Isaiah 35, and you're going to notice this is going to feel very different. Here, this is just the next chapter over, and it's intended to be this way. Isaiah 35, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. Sorry, this is under Isaiah 35, creation's renewal. I got ahead of myself. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall be the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and with recompense from God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap with like a deer and a tongue of the mute sing for joy. For water shall break forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert, the burning sand shall become a pool, the thirsty ground springs of water, the haunt of jackals, right, scar, think of all that, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, it shall belong to those who walk on the way, even, as, even if they are fools, I love the, I'm, we'll, we'll speak to this line, even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall there be any ravenous beast come on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be on their head, upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is very different. Like, if I recall correctly, the end of Lion King, I should have looked this up. Like, but, like, basically after Scar is ejected, like, all the land comes back to life, right? Am I remembering that correctly? Or am I, I'm looking at my Disney. Okay, Caitlin's my Disney expert over here, right? <laughs> after, you know, 
the, the immediacy and what is the reason for the change. You look here at the beginning of verse 1 here in 35. The wilderness and the dry bones shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice like blossoms of the crocus. And it is because, why? God is bringing his people back into the land. And the land is responding with gladness because here the redeemed of God, God's people are back in the land. They are with the land that belongs to them. But is the land rejoicing to make them happy? Or are they returning and the land is, is now made new to be happy? You understand that there's a little bit of a difference there. It doesn't actually really matter because here God's people are back in the land and it is they are, they are connected, they are united, and this is basically God's home remodeling project. God's people are back where they belong, they're with God in their land, and God has made both them and creation happy and new again. That is, that is the story. But, but what would this feel like? I know we're kind of saying, like, okay, all these big things, like the creation's made new and all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. What would this feel like? What would this feel like? Well, just look at verse 3 and 4 with me. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have been anxious in heart, be strong and fear not. Like, we, we live in this place of We want the world around us to be whole and new and life-giving, and yet it's not. And so to suddenly come home and be in a place where the world around us is new, there's there's deeper the world around us is new. There's there's deeper colors and richer experiences and textures than we could have possibly imagined. And then our our bodies are made new so that we can experience those things like they are supposed to be. Like imagine. I, some of you might be colorblind. Have you ever seen those videos of people who put on just the glasses where they can see color? It's like they suddenly are like, this is what you guys live with all the time? <laughs> like that sort of thing. I'm like imagine what it's like to suddenly experience the world around you not as a place of threat. Like, like now I know like we're getting into the fall season. You're kind of like, hey, how's it going? Because <laughs> I don't want to get your cold. <laughs> You know, whatever it is. Imagine living in a world where God has made all things fresh and new so that you can experience it like, oh, this is the way God made me to live and to experience the world around him. God has made me to love the world in which I live. So here's the surprising thing that God does, right? There's water in the wilderness. There's burning, um, the burning and thirsty ground is given pools and springs, right? That's not just something that happens overnight. And the place of the jackals is turned into a place of grass and reeds and good ground. And God has made creation lush and hospitable with his people. And here we have even a picture of who our God is. And we're going to move on here in a second. But here we have, right, verse 8 and 9. And even if there are fools, they will not go astray. God even has a place in his renewed creation for people who are idiots and don't have their life together, just like you and me. Like Here, God is saying, this isn't for the people who paid all their taxes exactly right, who never did anything wrong, who did their nine to five or whatever your job is, did everything perfectly, that's for them. No, he's saying, this is for people 
who are so ridiculous that I basically have to put, like, I'm not making fun of parent, parents who do this. I can totally understand. But you know parents who have, like, leashes on their kids? Like, as, as a father of four, I could totally understand why you would do this and, like, you know, like tie it to your belt and you're just kind of, like, being pulled along like a dog walker, right? <laughs> like, that's kind of the picture here of what God's saying. He's kind of like, even if you're just kind of, like, constantly pulling against that leash of, like, trying to figure out the world around you, God's saying, even for you who don't have your life together, this whole experience of a world made new is for you too. So, what does that mean for us today, right? What does that mean for us as we try to live out this life? Sorry, so the main point, I'm just going to restate the main point, and we're going to finish by looking at what Jesus had to say about this, because I think, at least for me, I hope for you, what Jesus has to say is pretty important. Main point of what we're looking at is get out of your head and consider, consider creation's witness of God's love. So we've looked at how sin has broken the world around us, and we're seeing how sin is going, sin is going to be uh, gotten rid of, and we're going to experience God's world as it's made to be. And so what does Jesus do with us, and how does he help us to live this life today? So Mita read, for this, read this for us earlier. I'm going to read a few of these verses here in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Remember, we just looked at, in Isaiah 35, this was addressed to people who were anxious in heart. People who, what's, if, if this is how bad it's going to be, what's tomorrow going to look like? Jesus has the same people in mind. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, not about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, right? Jesus' sermon illustrations come from just going to the park. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to your span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory is not arrayed like one of these. You see, Jesus, in his understanding of the world around us and what it tells us about who God is, it is a picture of what God's heart is for us. And you'll notice it's your Father and your God who is what <laughs> the birds of the heavens, they're flapping around to go get more, you know, whatever worms or whatever bugs they eat, to bring it back to their nest to eat. And then he says, and consider the lilies of the field, right? These little, I mean, lilies exist for like four or five days, right? It's almost as though Jesus were to say, Consider the beautiful flower, the, the beautiful leaves of New Hampshire's fall weather. How they're radiant and red and orange and yellow for a few days, and then the wind comes through and they're in the yard waste basket tomorrow. Right? His picture of God's love for you is that God clothes these things with beauty for you to enjoy, almost as though God made the world for you to experience God's goodness through the, through the world around you, and then basically God discards it tomorrow because he's going to do something else the same day. And his point is to say, look at creation around you, how God, chock full of creation goodness, smells, even if you have allergies, like my allergies are out the roof these days, even if you've got allergies, there's smells to be enjoyed, there's colors to be enjoyed in creation that are free, right? Jesus' sermon illustrations, like, I think that's one of the things that Jesus is so fascinating here. His point is to say, if you're struggling with anxiety, 
And he's not to diminish all the medical things, all that stuff. But if you're struggling with what's God going to do for me today and tomorrow, whatever your anxiety is, his, the cash value of his pastoral care for you is free. You know, like even though state parks might cost a little bit of money to go in, we can still walk outside for free and experience what Jesus is teaching us. Look at creation and how good God has made it. Are you not of more value to God? Does God not care about you more than the leaves that we're going to rake up and put in our yard waste bins? My, my yard waste pickup is on Wednesday mornings, right? By Wednesday morning, there's going to be leaves in a bin on Wednesday morning that represent God loves me more than these, right? You could even, as we're raking up our leaves this, this, this year or whatever you're doing, raking each one, I'm more loved than these leaves, <laughs> I'm not sure if that means anything to you. But just even that discipline of just raking and walking around and looking at the leaves and just saying, like I was at the I was at the Golfstown thing yesterday, and we're we're doing the we're we're projectile throwing apples into the river. <laughs> and as we're doing this, this huge wind comes by and all of these yellow leaves just drop out of the the tree across the, the river from us. And just watching that, just thinking more than each one of those leaves that are beautiful, and even just the picture of it is these leaves just kind of gently being brushed, blown off the tree and landing in the river. Just even the visual is beautiful. God's love for me and for you is deeper and more beautiful than even these picturesque New England moments. Right? This world, Jesus is telling you, is full of God telling you one day after the next, I love you. I'm for you. I'm doing something here that's not over yet. It is though, as to, to go back to that Chesterton quote, right? God wakes, up, God wakes up every day. Not he wakes up, but he wakes up the day for you every day and says, do it again to the created world around you. He says to the creation around you, do it again. Show them my love. Show them the glory of how much I care about my people. Show them my mercy again. God says to the world around you, show them again and again and again because every day my people seem to forget, every day you seem to forget that God himself and his love has made this world to be a theater, an absolute theater of God saying, do it again to his love and mercy for you. So here's the payoff, I think, for this week. If you're struggling, does God love me, think about me, know me, care about me? Jesus, it would seem from the Sermon on the Mount, would just simply say, why don't you open your door and go outside and see what you see and consider it. Think about it. Okay, look at, the, I mean, if you, if you live here at this building, you can go outside, and I know we're living in the urban environment, but there's still trees around. Like, I'm just a couple blocks away. It's the same environment for me, right? There's still trees to be seen. There's airs to be, air to be breathed, thankfully, thank God, you know, um, you can walk to the parks any, anywhere nearby, and you can see just the goodness of what God has made. If you can get a ride, go to one of the state parks and just even sit in it. Even like there's a research report that came out this last week that children who were connected to nature through the pandemic were mentally healthier, where it had more mental health stability than people who were denied nature. And the, the, the funny line to me in this report was, the findings show that nature can provide 
a low-cost method of mental health support for children. <laughs> like, low-cost? <laughs> like, nature's free. <laughs> but it still speaks to this point. Nature is God's way of showing us his heart. Like, we all know this. We can experience this today and this coming week. So, as you go out and as you leave church today, as you go out this week to rake your leaves, whatever it is, consider this is God's heart to you. You are more valuable to him than even these beautiful things that we're putting literally in trash bags to be taken away. His love for you is so strong that he has made the creation to tell a story of his love for you this week. So I pray that as we go, you get out of your head a little bit this week and that you would see and experience God's love for you through the world that he's made. Let's pray. Father, as we have looked at these words and considered your love and mercy and grace and power and the stage of the world that you tell us that you love us, I pray that you'd help us. I pray you help us to get out of our head and to see the certainty of what you've made for us and the world that we live in. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.